Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Weekend Wrestle Podcast. It is episode 200. Nate Maxson, your host, here with you. And this week, it is a supersized edition of the show. For to celebrate, of course, the 200th edition of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. I'll get into that in just a moment. First, just want to let everybody know that as we go forward here after episode 200, that you may see some changes here at the WNR Podcast Network. And actually, one of the reasons that I changed it from WrestleNet Radio to WNR is because of that branding. Um, I believe that we have a lot more to offer than just wrestling. I think that for the past what, six years... We've boxed ourselves in as just a wrestling kind of programming. And and I do love the wrestling. That stuff's not going to go away. Of course, Reliving the Extreme will continue. The We Can't Wrestle podcast will continue. Uh, you've noticed some of the other shows have fallen off um, just because it is what it is in the podcast business. But like I said, I think we have more to offer than just wrestling. So we're going to be starting to branch out into some other genres as well. Uh, a couple television review shows coming up if you enjoy The Sopranos. We are going to have a Sopranos podcast, um, a Justified. If you enjoy the TV show Justified, we're going to have a Justified podcast. And also I have a music-oriented podcast in the works as well. So lots coming to the WNR podcast network. Lots of change, but I think change for the good. It's going to give you all some variety, more shows to listen to. I know there's a billion podcasts out there, and we appreciate you listening to our shows here at WNR. Now that being said, let's talk about episode 200 of the We Can't Wrestle podcast, which I'm going to present to you right now. I have a lot to uh, present you on this show. Uh, Later on in the show, I will be defending my trivia championship against Archie Mitchell, Mark Brew, and my brother Aaron. I'm currently the We Can't Wrestle podcast trivia champion. My title defense coming up later in the show. Also in the show, we're going to have David Gold and John Majewski and myself with a discussion on the 25th... eh, call it 25th, anniversary of the Attitude Era in the World Wrestling Federation. Looking back on the Attitude Era, was it good, was it bad? Some of the highlights, some of the lowlights of the Attitude Era. Also joining me on the show, a guy that I've waited to have on the show for a long time. We've 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 tried to coordinate a few times, it just didn't work out, that's how it goes. But he's finally here for episode 200, the one and only, the host of Wrestling Nostalgia, Mr. Dave Dynasty. But the first thing I want to present to you is an interview that I did with the managing, former managing editor of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, the man who created it, the PWI 500. He actually wrote the first PWI 500, and I think some subsequently after that, um, a few of them, but a great journalist. And he has a podcast of his own, The Outdated Wrestling Hour. It is my pleasure on the 200th episode of the show to present you with an interview that I did with the one and only Bob Smith. So we're going to get everything started Uh, The way this will roll out, we'll start with my interview with Bob, then my interview with Dave, then our conversation about the Attitude Era, and then, of course, the main event of the show will be the Trivia Championship, and I'll join you all at the end of this long, supersized edition of the We Can't Wrestle podcast to wrap everything up. So, that being said, like I said, here we start with my interview with Mr. Bob Smith. All right, listeners, it is my pleasure to welcome to the, as part of the 200th episode of the We Can't Wrestle podcast, this week I am joined by, um, dare I say, and, and I'll get into it deeper, but dare, you know, if you, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you could imagine having your favorite like, comic book writer or somebody from your teen years on your own podcast, this is what I'm dealing with here, because 
I'm welcoming the former managing editor of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the host of his own podcast, The Outdated Wrestling Hour. Thank you for joining me, Mr. Bob Smith. I can't believe I made the 200th episode. <laughs> you know, I was looking at, the, at your at your episode count, you know, because like I was telling you before you hit the record button, I've been binging on your show because I knew I was going to be on this show. Right, right. And, and, and it's like, uh, no way I'd make the 200th, but I am honored to be here at such a milestone podcast. I, I appreciate it. I really I do. Know, I didn't know if I was going to make it to the 200th, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, it's a, it's a labor of love as a wrestling fan. And that's kind of what I was alluding to when I started here was as a wrestling fan, I just have to tell you, and we'll get, obviously we'll get into some questions and stuff, but I have in my hands right here, a copy of the very first ever pro wrestling illustrated. Oh my gosh. And I want to tell you, Bob, it came out in 91. So 91, I would have, I was born in 78, so I'd have been 13. Mm -hmm. And for me, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine in the mid, in the early to mid 90s was Little Me's Bible. Like I, I religiously, you know, grandma took me to the candy store. I didn't want the candy. I don't want to buy the candy. I want to buy the wrestling magazine. And I want Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And the 500, I swear, I bet I read this thing. I bet I read this thing through a hundred times because I grew up in Midwest in Ohio, the Toledo area. And we got, um, we got WWF, you know, we got WCW obviously on TBS, but there was no really saw some of the bruiser stuff the you know, the, or the, the bruiser bedlam stuff. But this was, this magazine was my portal to the wrestling world at that time that I had not, didn't get to experience. And it was just, I soaked it up and I got to say, I can't, I can't, and I'm not even, I'm not even blowing smoke here. I can't tell you how much I, as a wrestling fan, appreciate the work you put into that. Oh, thank you very much. Um, you know, when I got the job with them in 88, I think it was 88 that I got hired. I was just like you as a kid, man. I, I had a 50 cent allowance. And I remember, I remember specifically in at least two or three occasions spending all the 50 cents on wrestling world or I'm a little older than you are. But inside wrestling, you know, all the magazines were out at that point. Mm. And it came at a time when there was no wrestling on my local TV. Wrestling had left my area. I'm from the Albany, New York area originally. So it's like there it was no wrestling on. But I was hooked on it. So I was like, well, what do I do? So I started <laughs> reading the wrestling magazines, which back then really was the way that wrestling fans got their information. There's no question about that up until mm -hmm. probably about – 1995, 96, it was still a vital way to get news up because it was still ter territories back then. Mm -hmm. And even in the cable world, you couldn't see everything. But the next best thing was to read about it in the magazine. So I, I realized that when I got the job. I like when I, I remember when I got hired, I was like, I don't believe this. You know, I, I was I was so thrilled. And um Mike Tyson got me the job with them. No kidding. Yeah, well, not spiritually but not really Here, here's why I, I worked for a newspaper in Catskill New York where he used to train when he was just a tadpole like 19 20 21 years old and uh, I had won a journalism award a big one for an interview I did with him mm -hmm. and what better resume fodder for a company that does wrestling and boxing magazines than an award-winning interview with the most famous boxer in the world Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that was part of it, but I, I was hired on the wrestling end and uh, that's dream job. What can I tell you? It really was not to say I didn't work my ass off once I got in there, 
because mm-hmm. it really was a lot of work. They put out a lot of product. I mean, I, I, as you probably have heard on other podcasts, I did the first two PWI 500s all by myself. And, but I, I think they gave me that job and agreed to let me do it because I had the, the knowledge base to do it. And right. that's kind of a compliment to me. I, I really think of every staffer that was there, I was the only one that could have done it at that point. It's, it's I, un- for some reason, it's- I absorbed everything about every territory. I watched tapes like crazy. Had had a background of watching every wrestling show I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. So I was the right guy. Because you know, not, everybody, not, not everybody in the staff was like that. So the, a couple of staffers kind of like wrestling, but they weren't into it like I was. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I was the right guy to do the job. And, 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 you know, and that's, that's a, that's a kindred spirit wrestling fan thing too. Cause I've always, I've, I've been, I'm the same way, you know, as I grew up, I could watch what my mother was willing to pay for or whatever on cable and et cetera, et cetera. And then as, as I got older and I got access to tapes and I got access, then the internet comes along and YouTube comes along. And then it's like this whole new world opens up, you know, now I've watched, I've watched all of mid Atlantic. I've watched Memphis, which is the greatest wrestling territory ever. And I've watched I, Georgia and yeah, it's just once you, if you're a real wrestling fan, once you open that can, even the bad stuff, anything you can get your hands on, you're going to watch it. Right. Well, there was, you know, there's the thing when I was a fan, there was no bad stuff back then. Right. I really didn't feel that way. I, you know, mm-hmm. from the smallest federation to the WWF, I thought it was all good at, at at many points, nothing insulted my intelligence back then. And and I and I I agree. I, I'm the same way. Like you said, I'm. I think I'm like maybe fan wise. I'm maybe that, that actually that was my first question I have for you. So let's just do that. What 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 was your first what was your first in, introduction to the world wacky world of professional wrestling and what made you a fan? Okay, I am from the Albany, New York area, and we had a, three TV stations to choose from pre cable. Yes, I am pre-cable, folks. <laughs> I was around before. We used to have to put antennas in our garages and stuff like that, which we did. And we had Channel 6, 10, and 13, and Channel 6 was WRGB from Schenectady, New York, a famous wrestling station in terms of history because they used to broadcast live matches from that TV station in the oh. 40s and 50s. I didn't know that. Uh, I think his name is Brett Williams on Facebook who does an incredible job uncovering stuff from the Northeast of New York state um, publishes these things. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that till like three weeks ago. So the guy hats off to you, buddy, cause you're doing a great job. And I, in 1969 or 1970, this is how old I am. Okay. A little tadpole Bob sits in front of the TV and I discover a show called championship wrestling with Johnny powers which was Pedro Martinez's old NWF Federation from Buffalo. They used to promote Buffalo, Cleveland, Utica, New York, and Albany, which I thought was a long way for them to travel, but they did. And they had an incredible roster. I mean, Johnny Powers, Ernie Ladd, the Mongols, George Crybaby Cannon, uh, Eric the Red, Kurt Von Hess, Abdullah the Butcher after a while. I mean, just people you wouldn't expect for a federation that did two states, right? So I started watching this thing, and I was well, oh, Dick the Bulldog Brower too, who remains one of my all-time favorites. So I start watching the show, and I'm like so hooked on it. One time, somebody slammed Power over the head with the belt. It's the first time I ever saw a wrestler bleed. Jack Arnold was the host. He's going, "That's not fake blood, ladies and gentlemen. How could you expect to get hit over the head with a belt and not bleed?" You know, it was just mm-hmm. 
it was it was a studio show, by the way. Their show was a studio show similar to Memphis or Pittsburgh. So I'm I'm hooked on this thing, and then psh, goes off. Hmm. Like I told you, there was no wrestling. I think it was on for a year, year and a half. I guess they weren't drawing the crowds in the Albany area, and they promoted all over upstate New York. But I guess they decided it wasn't worth the trips. Actually, they only lasted until '74, anyway. I think. So, anyway, to make a long story short, I'm buying wrestling magazines. There's nothing going on until late '73, early '73, and here comes the WWF on the same station at the same time. Goal. I, it was back, and it was bigger. You know, and who's and- the first wrestler that I saw on that show? Bulldog Brow, the same guy I'd seen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, that must mean Bulldog Brow is the biggest star in the world. Remember, I'm a little kid at this point because he's all over all these shows. But then, you know, uh, I think the, the tag team champs were champ. The t- um, Pedro was the champion at that point. So this must have been 72, 73. Oh, no, it was 72 because the tag team champions were Sonny King and Chief J. Strongbow. See, uh, I still got it. You know, I can still remember this as a Terrica from back Anyway, I never missed it. And as I moved into my high school years, I had a friend with a car. Uh, my best friend in high school, Rick Stickles, with his beat-up beige Volkswagen. We'd go to Albany to see at the Washington Avenue Armory all the local cards that were there. And it was WWF. You know, it was a superstar Billy Graham and Maivia and Strongbow and Ben Rashke and all the stars you could name from uh, in the East Coast. So I was hooked. Ten years later, after that, I was working for PWI. It, it helped that I got a job with my hometown newspaper um, as sports editor and did the work with Tyson and stuff like that. But I had that huge knowledge base of all that stuff from upstate New York. And I read wrestling magazines voraciously, even as an adult, because it was still the way to, you know, I didn't know who Meltzer was until I joined PWI, to be honest with you. So, And that was 88. And he had been around for years by that point, so. So basically, I'm just like everybody else. I was just a voracious fan who got lucky. Was the was the TV show that you got the WWWF TV show? Would that be the stuff that was uh, filmed in Allentown or Hamburg? We got both of them. Okay. We got, um, because we had cable came in soon afterwards, so Channel Nine in New York had I don't know which had which, but um, we had both All Star Wrestling and Championship Wrestling from WOR and WRGB. And then a third station picked up one of the other shows a week later. Like they would show what channel nine had on a week later. I don't know why, but that's the way they did it. Mm-hmm. They would continue to promote at um, that armory until the, I think it got really popular. And they moved to, I think the Glens Falls Civic Center, which was a small hockey arena. And then after the expansion, they just exploded and they, you know, Summer, SummerSlam 92 was done at the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, which is brand new at that point. And that was a full-size 20,000-seat venue. So Albany has quite a history when it comes to pro wrestling, and I was there for a lot of it. Um, yeah, I think I think just by judging by what you were saying, I think I, I probably came along in the wrestling ether about a decade after you because my right. first my first memory my first memory is um, – and I just remember it distinctly. And when I met Hulk Hogan, I told him about it. And it's a funny story, but it was, I remember seeing, it was right before Hulk Hogan became the champion. So it was probably like late 83 or something. He had just come back to the WWF. And he and Bob Backlund actually teamed up 
wow. against, I think it was Mr. Fuji and Tiger uh, or uh, Tiger Chung Lee. And right. I just vividly remember the victory sports banner in the background. And, and when I told Hulk Hogan about that, he goes, brother, I don't even remember that. So um, yeah, but that's my, my first memory was just right before the cusp of Hulkamania. So Speaking of Hulkamania, too, um, I moved into Ulster County after a while, after living in Greene County, which is a bigger county, and they moved their TV tapings sometime in the 80s to the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, which was not far from where I live. So I started attending the uh, you know, the TV tapings. I, I attended probably six of those, six or seven of them, and uh, it was quite a hoot. You know, like I'd, be sit I'd be sitting there in the upper upper area, you know, not, not at ringside, but in the bleachers part. It was an arena, so I had seating. And here comes Pat Patterson eating a bag of potato chips, just walking up the, the aisles as if he's just, you know, at home there. And uh, it was it was a trip because it was a, a medium-sized arena, if you remember those tapings. Remember the mm -hmm. famous Andre haircut? Yes, yes. That was, that was the Midheads Civic Center in Poughkeepsie. I think in my brain, in my brain, what sticks out to me most, just probably because again, when you're a fan, but I remember all the Monday Night Rawls from that arena. So that arena definitely has has a place in my brain as far as a wrestling venue goes. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it wasn't that much longer that I actually was working in the business, which just freaks me out to this day, you know, because I went from hyperactive fan to someone who had the keys to the car, sort of, you know. Mm -hmm. Started to learn all the secrets because I didn't know I wasn't anything near an insider when I started, you know. But once you spent six months there, you knew just about everything, you know. That's, and and it, it, that was you know, actually my Peters and Stu Sachs, they, these guys knew everything. I mean, Bill Apter to this day is a walking encyclopedia, and he was the conduit between most of the federations or organizations and the wrestlers themselves. Everybody knew Bill, everybody liked Bill. So at the magazines, um, he would communicate all the stuff that he found out to us. And that's how we put the magazines together. To be honest, without Bill Apter, we would have been squat. Bill Apter was a giant in terms of who he knew, how to get information. He, he, he really was. He, he was it. I'll be honest with you. You know, he's on my show that comes out. Uh, I'm, well, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but. As we speak tomorrow, he's going to be the guest on my show. And, I, I, you know, we talked about that. The fact that without after, um, I don't know what we, what we would have done. I don't know what they're doing now. I know that the magazine is still in print and new people have taken it over and stuff like that. But uh, back in those days, Bill would get the info. He'd, he'd parlay it to us. We, he'd hand us the photographs because we had a team of photographers all over the country and all over the world at times. And we would base our articles off the information he gave us. Totally invaluable. What a guy. And that's so if anybody complains to you that after didn't write this or this isn't take it from me. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hype you. Um, Bill after was 75% of the success of that company. No question about it. Yeah, there's a reason they call them the after mags. <laughs> you know, it's well, actually, you know, according to Bill, Meltzer gave it that name and people just picked up on it. But yeah, I didn't know I didn't know Meltzer coined that phrase, the after yeah, mags. So. Meltzer definitely coined that phrase. Yeah. So my my next question, I guess, and it, it kind of parlays into what we were just talking about. Um, I know you said you were you were uh, a newspaper journalist mm -hmm. and then 
how did I know you said the Mike Tyson interview was you 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 kind of credit that, but was that? I guess what what I'm saying is, were you looking for a job when PWI came to you, or it, how how did it how did it all come to be for you to work there? This is this is hilarious. <laughs> I was working. I had a new job, working in a uh, music magazine. That's all I'll say because I wasn't there long enough to even say, it, but it was a national music magazine. And I just started there, and I would still pick up the New York Times every Sunday just to see if you can imagine. Back then, they had an entire section of classified ads for jobs. It was part of the paper, like 30 pages of it. And three or four of them were all editorial work. Oh, it was heavenly. I, You know, you got to miss it, you know. But anyway, I see this little two-line ad. I, I swear this is the truth. Little two-line ad says, editor slash writer wanted for sports entertainment mag. And I went sports entertainment. That's wrestling. Send resume, comma, clips to box something, RBC, NY. I went, oh, RBC, Rockville Center. That's that's the after mags. So I knew who they were. Just I, I could read it. And I sent in the Tyson clip and I sent in a few other things and I got the phone call. I was like, wow. And I went in for my interview and pretty much nailed it. I really did. I had a lot of knowledge and I, I know I aced the writing test they gave me and I talked about my, so I think they hired me as a wrestling boxing guy at first. Cause I wrote three or four boxing articles when I first started there. Okay. And, um, actually helped um, Bill do a, a photo session with Mike Tyson because I knew Mike. And so that way it, it just, you know, it cooled the ice and I, Bill could do whatever he wanted because he knew I was working, you know, Mike knew I was working with Bill and I had carte blanche because we were old friends. So to make a long story short, I fluked into it. It was just an, it's just an ad in a newspaper. And I don't know how many people they interviewed. I think somebody had just left and they hired two people, myself and a guy named Gersh Kuntzman, who went on to become a big time writer in New York City. Um, but I, I just I just totally fluked into it. It was it was awesome. What a feeling. I mean, the very magazines I used to walk to the candy store to buy, even as an adult, I was about to work for it. You don't know what that felt like. It was like <sighs> lottery. You won the lottery. Yeah, I can't imagine it. how cool. <laughs> but in, in your mind, in your heart, it's like I couldn't have gotten luckier. Could not have gotten luckier. Um, and as you work there, and, and of course, we already hit on the 500, but I'll ask another question about that in a minute. But as I guess it interests me as a kid that read the magazine, because, um, you know, we all know that um, there was some carte blanche with with the magazines as far as storylines and stuff goes as far as you know with with storylines within the magazines that weren't necessarily playing out on television or or what have you did you guys have when you worked there did you have much access to the actual wrestlers everywhere but wwf okay wwf had started their own magazine and threw out all the magazines from ringside didn't allow the passes anymore and even at the big arenas, they were kind of strict to kind of watching people to see if they weren't shooting commercially because they wanted entire access for their own house 
magazine and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> which leads to another funny story. Um, that, let me just do this while I'm thinking about it. We used to sneak into Madison Square Garden with see, uh, 300 level seats with our long lenses stuffed in the sandwich, subway sandwich bags. Right, make make people think we bring a subway sandwich in instead right. of, a, yeah, and we would just shoot, shoot, hide the camera, shoot, shoot, hide the camera, shoot, shoot. So we kept shooting at WWE events. If you notice during that period between '88 and about '94, there were always ring ropes in the pictures because we were shooting from, mm-hmm. you know, not ringside but up, shooting down, and you couldn't avoid having. But I think we did a hell of a job considering what we had to deal with. And uh, so that was part of the problem back then. Uh, back to your original question, though, which was, um, oh, yeah, our storylines. I was one of the writers who kind of stuck to what the what the organizations were doing because I did a lot of indies writing. I, I actually preferred doing USWA, World Class, Continental, whatever, you know, Calgary, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mainly because how many times can you do a Hulk? We were doing Hulk Hogan so much, so much that I, I, I tired of it. And I wanted to do the other stuff. So they let me. It was no problem. Um, but in, in, in terms of, I remember one time I got a little heat from WCW slash NWA for an article I did about the Four Horsemen and how Sid was getting upset with them, but not showing it, which was total. I got a little heat for. Uh, overstepping my bounds and um that, that's the one time personally i can recall a little bit of flack um it was worse in the old days when bill after <laughs> bill after or somebody stanley weston back when bruno was champion did an article about bruno fighting the nazis or something like that and bill, bill got a lot of heat from bruno sammartino himself he said, that's too much he said nothing like that ever happened please it's i had enough trouble in real life in that situation and there were other stuff that, you know, during the course of the history of those magazines, the London magazines, you know, apartment house wrestling and, you know, stuff that, you know, some wrestlers didn't really cotton to being on the cover of a magazine where next to it was two girls in bikinis, you know, pretending to fight each other, you know. So there it, it was that that caused a little controversy, too, back in the day. But it was before my time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, was- you know, the, the, the silly stuff, the... Um, the Matt Brock, the Liz Hunter, the um, the heel writers we had. Eddie Elner, when I was there, preceded by the great Dan Shaka, who was one hell of a writer. I mean, he just he just wrote like a like a TV script writer. He was he was excellent. So you know, once in a while, somebody would write something about somebody that was a little inflammatory. We'd hear about it, but you know, again, it was the era where we were working hand in hand with the promoters and also. Um, some people really needed or liked the publicity. They didn't care what it was. So you took the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah. I And I, I had um, a while of that. I don't know. Some, some episodes back, I actually had Brian Solomon on the show. And he was discussing, you know, his time at WWE Magazine and stuff. And that's why I wanted to ask you, because I know the to, to what he was discussing with me, WWE has always been in and out as to how much access they're going to give. You know, sometimes we're okay with the other magazines. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're good with the wrestling press. Sometimes we're not. So I just wasn't sure at your time, during your time there, what the, what the access to them was. So, you no, know, it depends on how business was too. I'll tell you something. Um, 
when they had the debut of Raw at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City, we got caught blanche again. The ratings had been down. They, they were reduced to running that small venue for their TV again because things were really hurting for a while. And they invited us. I remember about five of us went to the debut show hmm. with passes, which we had never had before, including after, who hadn't been in ringside in years. So um, things change. You know how business is. If they need you, they come calling. If they yeah. think they're big for you, they'll amscray. You know, it's it's like just it's just the way it is. It's, you know, wrestling has always been such a close shop anyway that anybody who gets a ringside pass is lucky. You know, because especially me, it was still kayfabe into the mid nineties, no question about it. I remember, I remember visiting Memphis once, and I had to use the men's room backstage of the Channel 5 show, and I walked into this room. I asked somebody, where's the men's room? They pointed to the room. So I walk into the room, this big room with the men's room as part of the room, but I didn't know that Eddie Marlin, uh, Jerry Jarrett, and Eric Embry were working the book as I walked in. So when I walked in, even though they knew who I was and why I was there, they, they gave me the saucer eyes because it's like, oh, gosh, she's going to hear this. It was definitely still kayfabe like crazy back then, you know? That's a name, Eric Embry. What a fucking talent that doesn't get the credit he deserves. But, um, he's my favorite. I call it, I don't know what the term is. He's my favorite crybaby heel. That's what I call it, crybaby heel. Mm-hmm. But he, he's my favorite of all time in that, that, in that category. What, what he was putting down in Memphis, he was slightly crazy, slightly sane. A sl- slightly a genius. I'm talking on camera. Mm-hmm. Slightly a lunatic. He was a little of all of it. You know, he you couldn't describe what he was. He was not a big guy and certainly not a body beautiful, but he had an anti-charisma that really worked. And he pulled it off. What he did in Memphis and Texas afterwards. Yes. And that to be totally. honest with you, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like my first my first exposure to him, again, because not I've seen it all now, but my first exposure to him was actually when Global was on ESPN. Right. And that was the first time I ever saw him. So, yeah. And that was a great angle. I mean, even though you had Phil Hickerson playing a giant Japanese guy, which is beyond incredible, but nobody knew it. Nobody complained. The fans never said, boo, you're, we know who you are. So, and I think part of that was because Hickerson was in Texas as opposed to Memphis. Mm Mm-hmm. And they didn't know. I I don't think he looked remotely Japanese, but that's, you know, Tojo Yamamoto was his manager, and I guess that one and one make two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a good program, and that may have been the last legit sellout that the Sportatorium ever had was when, you know, Eric beat Tojo to take over, to change it to the USWA instead of world class. And that may that was a legit sellout, and I think that was, may have been the last one. I'm probably totally wrong, but I have a feeling I'm not that far from being right either. Oh, I was going to say you're definitely not far off, if it, you know, no matter what. It's um, on one of the shows that uh, the other show that I do, the Reliving the, the Extreme Show, the ECW show. Um, we were just talking about the Sportatorium. Um, it, it, and the reason the reason we were is because Steve Austin, we're, we're on the episodes now where Steve Austin is coming into ECW and he talks about how he's been in the sportatorium, but compared to that, the ECW arena is a dump. And um, I got, I told, I was telling the guys, I actually, the company that I worked for back in 2002, we had a manager's conference in Dallas 
and I actually got to drive past the sportatorium. Obviously, by that point, nobody was doing anything with it. You can't go inside or anything, but it's just cool to know that I got to drive past it. And then I think they tore it down the next year. But yeah. um, it, it's cool to be able to say I saw the sportatorium at least, you know, <laughs> from the outside looking in, and it's all run down and everything by that point. But you know, that Memphis trip, I was going to make it two pronged. I was going to uh, fly into Memphis do one show there and then drive to that, to uh, the sportatorium where I, I think Pedicino was still working it at that point. Um, it didn't work out. It would, it would have killed me and it was just too far. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm glad I, I spent a week in Memphis instead because I, I learned so much and, and got to meet Sabu when he was a kid and Rob Van Dam when he was a kid and that whole crew there. And, I saw two shows, and it's, I think that's my favorite experience of my five years was spending a week in Memphis. It was worth it. Actually, that's funny that you said that because my next question was um, what I was going to say, if you could give me just an example, one or two, I was going to say, what are your best and worst experiences working for the? That's a really good question. Best experiences was Memphis. I will say the PWI 500, even though it was a killer, it really was hard to put together. Oh, gosh. Pre-internet? Think about that. Yeah. Oh, and, and hey, we just rolled into my next question because my next question was, how the hell did you put that together? But yeah, so we got we got two answers. We got two questions here. That well, this is why I think it was the right guy on the staff to do the job, because I, I'm telling you, 75 percent was right out of my head. The other 25% I had to research, like, you know, but we did keep records. We had a, a office record book of wrestler. It was just one line for each wrestler, but it said where they're from, the bio, the weight, the height, year debuted, you know, the whole. So you, we had a, a tiny bio of each wrestler right there. And it said that Bill the Butcher debuted in 1955, which drove me. I would use that for some others for people that I need and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was hard work. You know what? The reason I consider it one of my favorite things is because of the impact it's had then to now. And I had no expectation that the wrestlers would end up taking it as seriously as they did even then. I remember Chris Candido seeing him somewhere and go, I went down 50 spots. Why did I go down 50 spots? And I went, holy smokes. I didn't anticipate this. And then a couple other guys who I won't even mention didn't end up on it because of a, we had a computer snafu one year uh, and knocked out a few guys from the letters G to H. Terry hmm. so Gordy didn't make it. And I think Owen Hart got left out. I didn't leave them out. The computer just bogged down or something and they got vaporized and I'll be damned if we didn't hear about that too. So yeah, they took it serious. If you weren't on it, they didn't like it. If they were too low, they didn't like it. If they were way high, they loved it. You know, man, right from the start, you know. Now, other good memories. The friends I've never lost. Bill Apter, Craig Peters, Stu Sachs. I hope they feel the same way. Roy London, Andy Rodriguez, um, Al Bello, who works for Getty Images now. Um, the whole the whole team there. Rosenbaum. Later on, a guy named Chris Bernuka and Gersh Kunzman that I talked about. I, I felt friendly with all of them. The boxing staff, my gosh, Steve Farhood and Bobby Cassidy, who's still working in boxing, and Steve Farhood is working in Broadway boxing on SMY. And, you know, it's just 
they've all gone on to great things. And um, I was there for their formative years and uh, yeah, sat right next to Steve Farhood, who's a boxing encyclopedia. It was just, I didn't know what I had when I had it. I mean, I really had a really good deal there. My worst memories. Being scared to get, being scared to death to write an article about Nikita Koloff's wife dying. Hmm. An article when his wife was terminally ill. I don't know if his wife was a girlfriend. It's been so many years. I just don't remember, but the, the woman he was involved with and she ended up passing away. Not long after the article came out and it's the hardest thing to do. Cause when, you know, you write for a somewhat exploitive wrestling magazine and you have to turn on, and have to turn on your news hat, and not like over exploit this situation. What's more important than life and death? I mean, come on. And Nikita turned out to be a great guy about it. And, and the young lady was just fantastic with her interview. And it's, it turned out to be a fantastic article, unlike anything you'd usually read in a, ma in a wrestling magazine. But it scared me. You know, it was hard. It was very hard to do. You know, I'm used to writing about, you know, Eric Embry cutting Eddie Marlin's hair after a match or something like that. This was the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that was tough, but I wouldn't say it's one of the worst, but one of the hardest things I had to do. Worst experience was the day that Stanley Weston walked in and said, I'm selling the magazine to a company in rural Pennsylvania called Kappa Publishing to those crossword puzzle magazines. And I could not go with them. I had to leave. I had just bought property a year and a half before right down the road. I could walk to work. Boom. Cosmic screwing. <laughs> you know, I don't blame Stanley for selling. He was older and wanted to get out, and he got a nice hunk of change for selling. It. But by the same token, I was left out in the COLD. I, I could not say with me. I, I continued to freelance for, for them for about a year and a half, but it wasn't the same. And I left when I got an offer for triple the money for uh, wrestling's main event, which Sandy Krebs yeah, people. I wrote for other magazines through other companies. Um, I was executive editor of WCW's second version of their magazine with Colin Bowman as the owner of that mag. And then Bill calls me after that and has me freelance for Wow. You remember Wow magazine? Yes, yes. yes. I actually have um, in my magazine collection. I have the entire run of that magazine. So, wow, really? So my name's in a couple of them anyway. But in any event, um, so every time I got out of it, somebody called me. For about five years after I left PWI, I was still writing. Um, no, between you and me, the wall, nobody read WCW magazine, so nobody even knew I was there. You know, it was like it was like, and I'm not putting Collins magazine down, but all three versions nobody read. I mean, it was like, and people forget London did my company PWI did the first WCW magazine, and then Colin got the rights to it for a few years, and then some bright guy at WCW said, "Let's do it ourselves," and it lasted handful of issues and it died so like everything with wcw it died you know <laughs> but um yeah so the the tough thing for me was having to leave i didn't want to leave i didn't i wasn't planning on it i obviously thought i was part of the scenery because i bought property right near where the you know right where the magazine was but uh, so then i had to go in the real world and that wasn't easy well I stayed in publishing all those years. In fact, I was in publishing straight through April of 2021, which is amazing. That's a, that's a long run. The last 17 years I spent doing an entertainment magazine in Long Island. So it's, it's like I never stopped doing publishing. 
So, you know, it's been worth it. But I always look back to my favorite job. You know, what can I tell you? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, if you are ever, I know you said you were listening to some episodes of the show. If you ever have um, <laughs> downtime, some time on your hands, just so you know, I don't know if I told you uh, before, but there is actually, I believe it's a nine or 10 episode run of this this show where we literally went through the entire first PWI 500. Every star, every bio. I did not know that. 500 to one, just, you know, yeah. And What did it, it you was, guys talking about? I mean, did you disagree with the, the rankings or something like that? Or well, did you kind of take a trip down memory lane, so to speak? Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. What it does, what it did more was, was just, it was a great, it was a great rock for a conversation, you know, because, Oh yeah, I remember Dead Eye Dick or blah. You know, I did. I haven't thought about that guy in years or whatever. You know, like example I have here. I, like I said, I brought the magazine with me because I'm a fanboy. Number five hundred in the first five hundred was Zeus. Yes. And Bob's bio of Zeus reads: Tiny Lister Jr. is a fine character actor who starred in the 1989 film No Holds Barred, then tried to wrestle. Disastrous results. Still wrestles in quotations. But dot dot dot. So you get the you get the the idea. <laughs> I got a little snark in there, huh? Yeah. yeah, a little bit. I didn't think much of his skills, and frankly, nobody else did either. Um, that's a little mean, isn't it? And I was even meaner the next year because I remember who ninety two is. What you remember who ninety two is? Number five hundred. Is it Morgus the Maniac? You got it. You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I never even seen that guy, but that description in the to magazine to call him ridiculous would be an insult to ridiculous wrestlers. I mean, it was just, it, it was a bad act. I'm sorry, Marcus, wherever you are, I'm sorry, but uh, he was an East coast, any guy who I think came out in a straight jacket. And I think his mom was the nurse that assisted him to the ring. It, it's worse than it sounded. Okay. Maybe his dad was part of it too. I, I can't, I can't even, you know, but you know, today it would be normal. You know, yeah, he'd be AEW uh, Pacific Coast champion at this point. So, you know. <laughs> um, just a couple of more questions. Um, the other, like I said, the other show that we do, I do the show Reliving the Extreme with my brother Aaron and then um, Chad Austin, who used to wrestle for ECW and and uh, and Maryland Championship Wrestling. He's our other co-host on the show. And of course, what we do on there is we're actually going week to week. We just literally started at the beginning, wherever WWE has it on Peacock, and we've watched and reviewed each episode of ECW and watching the progression of the company. But I know, and folks, definitely, uh, we'll talk about Bob's podcast for sure at the end, but one of the better episodes that I've enjoyed the most, and I love them all, but I love the Todd Gordon episode. So I... I know from that that you actually were originally one of the play-by-play guys for ECW. I was, I was more than that. I was the first host of the very first ECW shows in Philadelphia that only went into the airwaves and vaporized. You know, it was pre, it wasn't cable, so it was like, and it started out in a little rinky-dinky house somewhere, and then. He found the new, uh, I think his name was Philip Helly, the second producer, who was really a major league guy. And then the show got kind of slick. And I, I um, did the first five, ten shows that they ever did. And I tried my hand at play-by-play, which, by the way, ended up on WWE Network. Knocked me down with a feather. 
my color man was stately Wayne Manor, another, I think he was with wrestling world at the time. And I thought it sucked when I left the arena that day. And I said, I'm going to stop doing this. You're terrible. Forget it. So anyway, 30 years later, it ends up on WWE network. And I'm going, what? It was in, you know, the hidden gems section. Yes. yes. What obviously was dubbed from an OVHS tape of, of something called ECW's bloodiest bouts or something. And it's me and Wayne did three matches on. I went, it really wasn't bad. <laughs> I had put myself down for all these years saying, I don't have the right resonance in my voice to be a, a you know, a play-by-play guy. And I listened to this thing and I had good, good chemistry with Wayne. We were arguing with each other and it sounded natural and real. And the wrestlers were like, it was at a place called the Chestnut Cabaret and they were hitting each other over there with beer cases. And it was, it was like a big bar place. And I was, was going to ask you, is that is because I, I know in the earlier episodes that are on Peacock, during the opening video, they show, there's stuff that looks like it's from like a sports bar or something that That's you it. see Jim, you see Jim Neidhart and yeah. yes. Okay. Well, the first shows he did were at a place called Michael Jack's in right in center city, Philadelphia, which is owned by Mike Schmidt, the old Phillies third baseman. Okay. And then he moved from there to the chestnut cabaret, which was a much larger nightclub. And I, I don't, I didn't last with him much longer than that. And before I knew it, I don't know how they got into that ECW arena, which is now 2300 arena in Philadelphia. And boy, did they take off fast. Holy smokes. But you know what? Todd, Todd was the right guy. Um, Todd had a real abiding love for old school. But he, he told me on a show he, he wanted to do Memphis in Philadelphia. But he did Memphis times 60, like take the Tupelo concession stand brawl and, and – Put it on steroids, so to speak. That was ECW, even in the beginning. And uh, the rest is history. And Joey Styles, people don't remember, was a, was an intern for PWI for a while. I did and not know that either. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I believe I was there the day he met Paul Heyman. And the two of them went into our, our conference room and were talking a mile a minute to each other. And I said, man, I can smell cook- something cooking in there. This, these guys are getting along famously. And before I knew it, Joey was the lead voice of ECW. I mean, it's cool. It was cool to be part of that much history, you know? It, it really yeah. was. Yeah, and actually, I think there is, man, and I would have to go back and check, um, but just from watching the show for the podcast, I really do think there is something. Did you do, even after Joey, even after Joey took over the, the play-by-play, did you do like a guest spot? Yes. Where you did some commentary with him. Okay. Cause I was going to say, I, I, I swore I remembered in one of the shows that we watched for the, for the podcast that you were, you were there with Joey because they do some kind of a spot with the Eagle's nest. And well, uh, um, what happened was, um, pardon me, something happened here. Okay. Let me restart. Yeah. Um, they said, I, I got there. And got to Philadelphia, and I was going to stay overnight in the hotel where they were staying at. And I, I check into the hotel, and he says, Todd says, you're going to have a roommate. I said, who? He said, you're fine now. It's Joey. So we roomed that night. But he says, why don't you, since you're here, why don't you do some color? You used to be on TV. You do some color with me. I said, fine. I don't know if Heyman liked it, but I ended up doing three or four matches on color. So anyway, at the end of one of the matches, Pub- Public Enemy had a match. And they came up into the crow's nest and beat the living crap out of Joey Styles legit. And Joey didn't know it was coming. 
And I don't know why they did it. I guess it was rib. But I just, I hauled ass. I, I mean, I got out of there because I didn't want to be next. You, who knows? Right. Who knows? It's ECW. And that was ECW by that point, you know, real ECW. So I was like, holy smokes. So, yes, that was the incident in the Crow's Nest with Bob Smith and Joey Styles. So okay. most I, Joey's. Oh, my man. They just they laid him out. What a uh, thing. What wild. A thing. Guys. <laughs> well, my last question for you, Bob, and this is a question that I, I enjoy asking, especially other wrestling fans, especially when I have someone like your, I, you know, yourself uh, or – I've had Barry Rose on before, just a, a writer or a historian or somebody of that nature um, that I know is as big a wrestling fan as I am. If you could only watch one year, one promotion, what would it be? One year of one promotion for the rest of my life. What What is it? What's your... One that I'd seen or not seen? Like you seen. just pick... Yeah, just, or yeah pretty much your, it's pretty much your favorite or i mean you oh, can interpret the question however really you like, really 1980 wwf bruno larry zabisco the greatest angle in the history of the world wrestling federation to this day in my mind i was so entranced by it from the very first moment that larry zabisco ignored bruno trying to get an interview with him outside the ring after a match i went out and spent one thousand dollars on a vcr Remember how expensive they were? Well, you're too young. Yours <laughs> were real expensive when they first came out. And I said, something's, something's cooking here. I got to get this on tape. I, I, could, I could feel it. So I started taping each weekly show leading up to the, you know, the match they had at Shea Stadium. And it was such a realistic, good angle. with it, Probably the bloodiest moment in WWF TV history when he bashed him over the chair and he's, the blood's running out of his head as he's laying there prone in the ring. All my favorite stars were around at that point, from Zabisco to to him to my favorite wrestler of all time, who I won't mention because it's ridiculous. You you know, my favorite wrestler of all time happens to be the most reviled, uh, or one that a lot of fans hold in low esteem. Favorite wrestler of all time because in 1975 I saw him in Albany start a near riot just by sneering, and I said, "Boy, this guy's got this guy's got bad guy charisma." coming out of his butt you know he was and they were serious the fans were, were hot i never i thought we were gonna have a row there he never said anything he just sneered he just walked down the aisle and sneered at everybody so i was a fan of his for life after that because i like bad guys better i think mm -hmm. but in any event no he was still there he had tor kamati had blassie as, as a manager he had luel bano with the tag team champions where he had the valiant brothers all these guys were it was really hot dusty Rhodes was in and out you know um, I, I just, I was so into it. I spent a thousand dollars on a VCR. So that's got, you know, it just has to be, um, the, the talking about Cicluna, to be honest with you again, he was, he was a little before my time, but I'll be honest at going, when I go have gone back now through my life, obviously now I've gone back and watched as much as I possibly could. Um, my, my mind, when I was first discovering him, when I first got to see some of the older 70s and 80s stuff, mostly when WWE started releasing that stuff on their DVDs, mm -hmm. was I, honest to God, thought, why wasn't this guy a bigger deal? 
Why was it? Why is this guy always doing the job? You know, so I saw what I think I saw the same thing in him that you did. He just he came off to me as a cool, a cool heel. And but here's the thing. He was a big deal. It was just a long time before those videotapes. He was a championship contender in 66 and 67. He was a world tag team champion. Been for uh, you know, he had such a long career. I think he wrestled from the late 50s to 1984, if you count when he was in Canada as Mike Valentino. Mm -hmm. But nobody sees the stuff when he was in his prime. There is a tape on YouTube I'll tell you about him and Victor Rivera taking on Antonio Inoki and another Japanese wrestler in Japan in 1967. In one of the falls, Sakluna pins Inoki. Shit. <laughs> It's you can you can look it up. It's on YouTube right now. Um, him and Rick, just type in him and Victor Rivera. It'll come right up. Which goes to show you, he was a big deal at one point. Because believe it or not, in 1966, 67, he was a legitimate six eight six seven six eight. That was towering over everybody in those days. Mm -hmm. Giants weren't quite as big as they are now. Yeah. So he was considered one of the larger wrestlers, um, and he had a really what I call a good bad guy charisma. He would just sneer. He had that look, this countenance, like, you're not worthy of my time, you peasants, you know, as with the cape and everything. And, you know, and the Cicluna King Curtis tag team was the most, more vicious than the Road Warriors. Seriously. They would pick up scraps of stuff off the floor and gouge people with them and bash people over the heads with chairs. And in 72, that was, you know, kind of a precursor to hardcore. Seriously. That so, listen. Just because you didn't see it doesn't mean it di didn't happen, kids. Mm -hmm. and people say, why is he a member of the Hall of Fame? Well, he was a worldwide star for the first half of his career. He just happened to like working for Vince Sr. and continued to, and he lived locally and just continued to work for him like Johnny Rods did. Johnny Rods is as good a wrestler as anybody I've ever seen, and people say he's just a jobber. Get out of here. You know, everybody has a role they don't know about, you know, in wrestling. You know, uh, Sonny Blaze told me that he was an enforcer for the WWF. For like, if a young guy got a little bit too big for his britches, they'd send him to Johnny Rods. So, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, because Johnny Rods could stretch you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is this is why I'm enjoying doing the podcast because I'm learning little tidbits of fun like that. You know, it's it's like uh, the stuff I always suspected is actually turning out to be true. You know, right. Yeah, and you mentioned somebody you mentioned that it's just because you mentioned him. I another person that as soon as I got access, the, the internet hit and I was or YouTube or whatever, another guy that I went back and watched because I was fascinated by him was Curtis Iakea. Yes. So so because I was because I was a teenager in the 90s, literally my first, I mean, I guess I vividly remembered him as the wizard, you know, with Kamala. Mm -hmm. in the WWF, but like then the goofy dungeon of doom, doom thing, Sullivan, my son, that yes. whole deal. And yeah, so it was like, I want to go back and see the bad acidness of this guy. And there, there's not a ton of him out there, but what I can find, I've always, if I can find it, I find it. No, he was as over the top as any heel. I mean, good gosh, I'd put him, half a notch below the sheet, to be honest with you. 
I mean, he was using all kinds of foreign objects. There's, there's a videotape of him stabbing somebody in the back of the head with what looks like a dagger from the from the seventies, no less. I mean, he he would he was maniacal. You know, he had another head like a roadmap from gigging so much. His his matches were really a, another precursor to hardcore. Even in, against TV jobbers, he would slam them over the head with chairs, and he was out of control. Was the best way to put it. Yeah, and he's as as I've gone back and watched him, he's, he's funny. Moved. He didn't talk all that much in those early years. Yeah, S- somebody discovered he had that big voice, you know, and he started to become a manager type for Kevin Sullivan and stuff like that. Actually, he did way better with the Championship Wrestling from Florida when they brought him in to work with Sullivan there in, in ICW too. That worked a little better than the corny stuff they ended up doing with Hogan and WCW. You know, yeah. that was. Wasn't it? Gosh, some of the worst stuff ever. It's funny because you look and it's like there's there's talent there. Look at all this talent, but look how we're using it. Well, you know, I had two stints in WCW magazine, and I left Colin at one point because I remember it was a Monday night watching. I guess it's Nitro, and it was Hogan and some other fossil against Kevin Sullivan and Arn Anderson, and they were just going through the motions. And I said to myself, this is actually funny. I said to myself, this, this ain't going nowhere. It's played. It's done. I think, so I think the person you're, I think the person you're referring to is probably that team with Hogan is probably Brutus beefcake when he was the booty man. Yeah. So I call <laughs> and I go, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. He says, why? I said, the product is about less than a month later, Scott Hall walked in the ring. Good timing, Bob. <laughs> the world changed <laughs> in in one instant, you know. And it was like, holy smokes! But I, you know, I ended up coming back anyway. Colin called me out of the blue, said, "You sure you don't want to write some more?" And I said, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> so Colin, Colin was great. I, I'd like to know what he's doing now. He's in Florida somewhere, but uh, he did the best he could with the wonderful, you know, brain trust at WCW who would fight you no matter what you wanted to do in your magazine it was like it was really hard because you'd have to get clearances from like five different people in atlanta and they were never there you know what i'm saying it was Mm -hmm. just very hard and frustrating thing to put together and um, he did he did a really good job with what he was given you know if the stars wouldn't have aligned and kevin nash and scott hall wouldn't have um, come in and hulk hogan wouldn't have agreed to turn heel eric bischoff's idea for the next big thing was glacier and yes. Mortis and Wrath. That was the Mortal Kombat thing was going to be the next big thing in wrestling, folks. So good no thing God. the stars aligned for WCW. Well, no kidding, but you know, you remember uh, Bad Blood and Ugh. and Johnny B. Bad and although Johnny B. Bad is the only one that worked. That that worked. Mark Merrill just took that character and ran with it. But all the others, um what was Matt Bourne's name? Big Josh. Um, big Josh, yeah. And, and- just the firebreaker chip. I mean, it just, it got the thing to forget. I mean, it got so bad for a while. I mean, beyond parody bad. I, you know, look, you can't, this is why to this day I said, don't let non wrestling people into wrestling. And now all these years have passed and everybody's a non wrestling person that's in wrestling. And it sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I mean, it's. I find 
it's very hard to cotton to a lot of what goes on today. I won't even mention any leagues here because you don't have a lot of time, but I, I am very disillusioned with what they're putting out for the most part. I think WWE's had a really good couple of months lately, but other than that, I, I don't point at anything that I really am crazy about. For the first time in my life, I'm missing wrestling on television, not even tuning in. I've never been that way. But you know, you see the great you see the gray chin here hairs here? They don't want me. They don't want me watching. They don't care about me, even though I've watched my whole life. They want Becky who's eighteen and Timmy who's twenty. Yeah. And they want them to order the championship titles and you know, come and spend six hundred and eighty one dollars for ringside C for WrestleMania. That's what they want. Do I blame them? No. I just don't want to be part of it. Yeah, and I I I, I find myself Especially, probably, I'd say within the last 10 years, unfortunately, other than a lot of times I'll watch a whole pay-per-view. Um, but the weekly, the week-to-week television, if I watch, I find myself fast-forwarding through 70% of it to get to what I want to see. And I tell my wife all the time, I just ain't the wrestling fan I used to be. Like, I want to get, I want to, I want to see what happened on Raw, but I want to watch it fast enough so I can go back and watch something from 1993 instead. You know, I just, it's just the way it is. They, I guess it's that expression. They don't make new music for old people, (laughs) you know, and maybe that's the way it is with wrestling. Maybe they just don't make wrestling for, because I'm 44 now. So 40. Mm When I hit about forty, I started started to, to diminish on me. But I hear you. Well, I still think somebody should be brave. Oh, but here's here's another point about that. Is there anything unfunnier than wrestling comedy? No. Everything they try to be funny, it's awful. Am I right or wrong? That's no, part. Right. Secondly, is there's got to be a promoter out there somewhere who was brave enough to just pit two people in a ring tone it down like it used to be, do interviews outside the ring in a sports-type manner, right? Um, I'm not saying it has to be, you know, straight-laced and looking like AAU wrestling, but just make the people look a little more normal and not so flashy. And wrestling is so overproduced now. I mean, the arenas look like you're trapped inside a PlayStation 5, you know? It's just the noise and tumult and fireworks and Everything is loud. Everything's the greatest. The announcers are screaming. The music is loud. And you want to pull your hair out after watching it for 45 minutes. Not to mention wrestlers that take 20 minutes to walk to the ring and other uh, things that have changed. When I started wrestling, when the uh, WWF would come on with the match, the, oppo- the opponents would already be in the ring. They'd make a ring announcement. Ding, ding, ding. And you'd be off to the races. Boy, do I miss that, too. I just do. Um, it, it's over. Everything is hype to the point of give me a break. Give my ears and mind a break. You know, everything, you know what I mean? It's like the way records are mixed these days. Everything is high. You know, everything's mixed for headphones now as opposed to uh, stereo. Yes. And it's like it's grating on the nerves after a while. All that noise tumult kind of makes you sick. And wrestling shouldn't, wrestling, wrestling shouldn't look as slick and sanitized as the. No. Wrestling was best when they had a hard edge to it. And actually, and, to, to be honest, I was talking to somebody. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I was talking oh, no. to somebody. And, and this is the point. Wrestling was better when it wasn't for everybody, when they weren't courting everybody. Remember when it was kind of like a secret that you and your friends had that you wouldn't yeah. talk about in school, but you would all go to the matches? You know what I mean? It was different. The whole vibe of it was different back then. 
It was like the secret thing. It's like your stash of Playboy magazines in your bedroom. You know, you didn't tell people about it, but you really enjoyed it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the, actually, I was going to say, um, to me, the most enjoyable, the most enjoy, and, and again, I watch the new stuff. I keep up, I guess, but the most, in, like the most fun I have watching a wrestling show now is I actually watch uh, OVW on YouTube. Um Al Snow is doing a great job with OVW and they put their show on YouTube every single week. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's indie. So they have some indie riffic guys or whatever, but it's just, it's the closest thing to wrestling that's out there that I, I enjoy it. You just gave me a tip because I had no earthly idea that OVW was on YouTube because I'm the yeah. biggest Al Snow fan there is. I think he's teaching these guys to do it the right way. If you've ever heard talk about you know wrestlers protecting themselves and being safe in the ring, we need more of that. Yes. And uh, Al is a proponent, so now I know what I'm doing when I go home after this taping. I think I'm going to uh, tune in because it's like, that sounds interesting. Thank you yeah. for that tip, man. I didn't even know that. I yes, knew it was sir. on somewhere. I didn't know it was YouTube. There are hundreds. Yeah, they have hundreds of episodes of their TV on YouTube. So Too good, man. Well, and that's my other saving grace, too. I've talked about it in my podcast. Guys like uh, Dave Dynasty and Chris P. Lettuce, who was Armstrong Alley on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of obscure old school wrestling. I mean, it's just fantastic, yeah. you know? You know, every federation you can name. Chris P. Lettuce is like a hero, and so is Dave. Where they came up with these tapes, I have no earthly idea. How the heck did you have five years worth of Bruiser Bedlam tapes? He, Dave went out and got the original cartridges that they used – in broadcast, he's trying to digitize them now. These guys are serious about digging up the old stuff, and it is heavenly. I'm talent great. Well, I guess on that note, I will uh, let I will let my prisoner, Mr. Bob Smith, free for the yeah. evening. But Bob, I want to really, really so thank go on and on because it's it's like. Um, you get me started on the old school stuff and I just, I can't shut it off. You know why? Because I, I'm trying to impart the love that we all had when we were kids. Why let that feeling go? I mean, we can, we can, I guess we can rely on each other for information. And this is why I like going on other podcasts and have, uh, other podcasts has come on mine. You're going to be on my podcast too, by the way, whether you like it or not. So, you know, this is part of the deal now. So you got to come on, but, but seriously, um, there's a community out there of disaffected, older wrestling fans. I intend to ex exploit this. And, and, and Brian Solomon does, and you do, and a bunch of other people. And that's great because it's like, we're, you know, we want to buy tickets too. We would go to the arena if there's something to watch, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know what to say other than uh, this year we've, we've lost some wrestlers and Jerry Jarrett really got to me when he died because it was like the old school guys, that knew the psychology are waning by the day. There's less of them as the weeks go by. You, you know, you read the obits and stuff. It's been a bad year for it too. So when they leave us, there's that's one less educational voice to teach today's wrestlers what worked for 50 years. It's going to be up to the people who follow them, like you and me, to let people know about them and and and, and remind people that wrestling used to be different and good and we really enjoyed it whether a young person would look at a match from 1977 and think it was good or they're just a bunch of guys standing around the ring who knows but 
I, I just want to educate people to the difference and let them make their own minds up whether they'd like to pursue old school stuff or to say, yeah, it's a bunch of old men. What do they know? You know, it's up to them. Yeah. But as far as you know, like when you listen, did you have a good time talking to me? Absolutely. Well, I had Absolutely. a good time talking to you. This is what it's about. Let's have some fun. Uh, life is short. I'm getting old too. So yeah. it's like, I, I intend to have as much fun with this as I can to now to whenever I stop doing the podcast. So it's, you know, and I've been having a blast, man. I've reconnected with people I haven't seen for 30 years. So how can I complain? This is fun. And speaking of that, um, to, as we as we wrap here, do you want to go ahead and let everybody know about your podcast, where they can find it, where they can find you on social media? I'm sure you have more listeners than I do, but you might get some of my listeners out of this. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't bet on that. Um, <laughs> it is called the Outdated Wrestling Hour. The motto of the show is all new, all old. And uh, we are available, I am proud to say, if you can name a podcast app, we're there. All of them. Some that even I didn't hear of and have no idea how it ended up there. The obscure ones like Refonic and Podbay and stuff like that. We're also on Spotify and Amazon and Audible. And think of a pocket. We're on Samsung News. Which is which comes free with your Samsung phone, but there's a podcast section in there. And we're on there too. If you can, if you have a podcast app, chances are it's there. I can't think of a single one that we're not on. So I think my company's done a really good job getting it out and disseminated. Um, if you want to find me, uh, I have a Gmail address, which is the same as the show, outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook as Bob Smith. You'll see me singing with BB King. I don't know if I. I don't talk about this on the podcast a lot, but I was a blues singer for 15 years and traveled the whole country. So uh, you can see me singing with BB King on the face of the Facebook page. Just look for Bob Smith. Look for me and BB King. Um, where else, where else should I send you? We have a website where you can hear all the shows. It's just called outdated wrestling hour. Buzzsprout.com. All the shows are there. If you know, if, I think that's enough. It's, it's mainly where I'm at. And because um, how did I meet you? Facebook? Uh, actually, I think Facebook link up a little bit. Yeah, actually, I think we actually met through um, a resi because I was on a resi show with you for an episode. And then we linked up on Facebook after that. You were really? Yeah, I was one of the patrons. I don't remember this. I was one of the patrons, so I got to Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So why weren't you on the main show? You should have been on the main show. <laughs> what? What gives? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I, I don't want to open a can of worms. I have enough worms in that can anyway, so I'm not going to – I'm not going to even pursue it. But um, listen, I'm, I, I say it every week. If I get no more successful than I am right now, I'm happy. Because talking with you and people like you, I feel 50 years younger. I'm telling you, I feel it's it's just so, so good to go back and, and relive the stuff you really enjoy. Like you're talking about Memphis and stuff like that. I mean, every time I talk about my trip there, it's just, it's like a tonic, you know, it feels really mm -hmm. good. So thank you for allowing me to do that. I really appreciate it. Yes. And thank you for joining me. And like we said, check out Bob's podcast, The Outdated Wrestling Hour, which I'm now booked for. Yeah. There we go. And uh, yeah. You are. Thank you so much, Bob, for joining me. And I, I just want to say, 
to be part of your 200th show. Honestly, I am, I feel privileged and I've been binging on it gang. Ever since I knew I got this, this booking, I've been listening back through a, there's some great shows. You got to hear the ones that they did about the hall of shame and the worst tag teams. This show is a lot of fun and I really, I'm glad to be on it and tell the other people on the show that I said hi, because they're all doing a fantastic job. And, uh, I recommend it wholeheartedly to everybody that listens. I take that as high praise. Thank you, Bob. All right, everyone. It is my pleasure here as part of the 200th episode of the We Can't Wrestle podcast to welcome a man who, as Lex Luger would say, has many allocades in in the uh, the wrestling sphere. Um, historian, podcaster, former manager, um, and uh, a, definitely historian. That's the big one. Um, I am pleased. I am pleased to have on the show, Mr. Dave Dynasty. Welcome to the show, Dave. Well, thanks, Nate, and uh, congratulations on episode 200. Quite yeah. the milestone. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's like um, we started this in 2017, so it's been a long road getting here, but it's been a blast, and it's great to sit down with people and talk about pro wrestling, you know, talk about the yeah. things that you love. That's why we do this, so. Yeah, that's about the only reason sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> um. So I guess we'll start, um, just have a little conversation here, but we'll start at the beginning. Okay. We all, no matter what we do in the wrestling sphere, whether we podcast, whether we are actually in the business, whether we are a journalist, what have you, it all starts with being a fan. Yep. Um, and I was just wondering, what was that What was that moment for Dave Dynasty? As a, as a young Dave Dynasty, what was the one that you got the glint in the eye for professional wrestling and became a fan of the, of the business? Well, that would have see that would have been the very early '80s, probably right right around '80, 80, '81 ish, and uh, I have it all to uh, to thank my grandmother for, because mm-hmm. my grandmother was a wrestling fan. She uh, she watched everything she could get, and I, I spent a lot of weekends at my grandmother's, pretty much virtually every weekend. And uh, so when I was there, you know, she was watching it, so I started watching it. And I thought, hey, this is this is pretty cool. This is kind of fun. These guys are great, and. Um, I was I was born and raised in Central Indiana, which uh, at that time was it was pretty pretty unique because we got you know Bruiser stuff out of Indianapolis off that station, but we were close enough uh, to Louisville also that we got the Memphis stuff off of Louisville. Hmm. We could pick that up. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, my family got a satellite dish in the backyard. Not not you know the Direct TV satellite dish. This is the Mongo or whatever they were ten right. foot. Yes, looks that like was, a, that looks would, like it's a flying saucer. Yeah, yeah, that would that you if you're out there and someone's changing the channel, it would move and it was it was pretty daunting. But my my dad got one of those for us and that opened up a whole new world because where I live we couldn't get cable, uh, but on that though we could start I could get cable channels. So I you know I started then watching you know that's where I started getting Crockett stuff and Georgia stuff. Uh, you know I would peruse through it. I I mean I, I my first glimpse of Lucha Libre on that and. You know, we could get the Madison Square Garden Network, the the Spectrum Network out of Philly. So I got those WWF shows on those networks. Uh, but it all started with my grandma, like I said, and I was hooked. And I I would consume anything that I that I could see by anything. I I, w- I would watch it. I didn't care what it was. Yeah, same here. I mean, I my I'm around the around the same time as you. Like it probably about I was about five, so probably about 1983. And I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Oh, so yeah. 
um, I got, you know, we got the WWF syndicated stuff and um, some, it's funny because it's, and you'd think it wouldn't be like that, but when I was a kid, Fox 55 in Detroit Mm -hmm. actually had Bruiser's promotion, but it was never, it was never consistent. It yeah, would be, yeah. it was like, it was like filler programming. So, you know, one night I might, I might be able to catch it. It might be on at midnight, but then yeah. the next day or the next week, it might be on at 11 AM, you know, or something. Yeah. So um, kind of followed that around too, but yeah, I'm right at, about in the same sphere as you in the early eighties. Um, but just, and it caught me, you know, the first thing I remember yeah, seeing, too. the first thing I remember seeing actually was a WWF show um, on TV it was right before Hulkamania, and mm-hmm. it was Backlund was still the champion. Hogan had just come in, and they had a tag match. I think it was All Star Wrestling, maybe. I don't even know, but they they wrestled Mr. Fuji and a Tiger Chung Lee. Yeah, yeah. And I I vividly remember the victory sports flag. That's that's yeah, and and yeah. when I met Hulk Hogan, I told him I'm like, this is my first memory of wrestling, and he goes, brother, I don't even remember that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what, like I said, my grandma, she, my grandma took me to my first live show when I was around that same time because uh, Bruiser would sporadically do spot shows because my grandma was from a little town called Edinburgh, Indiana. It's a very mm-hmm. small town. And um, they would uh, sporadically, maybe once a year, maybe, uh, would come to the high school in the gym there. And that was my, my first, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot of the show itself. Just remember the feel, you know, walking in, seeing my first ring in person. It was great. I mean, it was, oh, that just, that sealed the deal even more. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she took me to my first live show too. She, she had a big influence on my life, but yeah, wrestling was probably the biggest one. And, um, bruisers promotion. Just, I know, I know there's a lot of people around the country actually probably now know a lot more about it than they did back then. A lot of that is because of you and um, I try (laughs) the content, content that you share and and the, 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 I love the historical facts that you put on your Facebook page and just, you know, the history. Of, and would you say that that is your favorite promotion of all time? I know it's, it's, I know that it's what the one that you are the noted historian on, but that doesn't even necessarily mean it's your fave, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if it would be my favorite. It is, it is the one nearest to my heart for nostalgic reasons, because, you know, I, I was, you know, born and bred on it. That was, you know, that was like the home team, right? It was the, the, the home mm-hmm. sports team. But no, probably. I mean, my favorite stuff is I, I still '80s Crockett stuff. I, I mean, I, I love that stuff. I, I religiously watched all that. You know, I mean, at six five Saturday night, it was you know that was a, a date for me every week, and and all that stuff. And um, that that's probably still my favorite. So the early '80s World Class. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, so uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if. You know, it's hard to say that. It, like I said, it's. I mean, I guess it would be considered my favorite for nostalgic reasons, and I have the most memories of it. As far as just pure watching product, you know, no, I don't think it's it's necessarily my favorite. Um, although I will, there's you know, not necessarily the television product, but I I will hold you know seventies WWA stuff up with about anything. They, mm-hmm. It was some you know it was some good stuff. They were they were major and they were drawing big. So, but in the eighties, you know, the some of the bloom had fallen off the rose, and it you know it wasn't. It, it was still fun for me, but no, um, I don't know. I don't know if I would define it as my favorite to watch uh, just yeah. purely on product wise, but yeah. And I can see that. I mean, I'm, I, I, and I agree with you on, I like to watch the early eighties world-class um, probably until 
I like world class probably until after David died, you know, yep. it's and then yep. it, it fizzles and it gets repetitive and little. I mean, I don't know. And, and then Fritz and his promotional tactics and stuff, it just and then but then the resurgence of that, I personally could sit down and watch global. Mm -hmm. Yep. All day long. I, I, I don't know that promotion doesn't get I guess maybe because of the kid that, you know, the kid in me that watched it on ESPN after school. Yeah. Um, but that that was um, that was so cool to me just because it was something different. You know, it was like I've never seen yeah. something like this before. And I, I love that promotion and it just doesn't get enough credit or enough love. I don't think. Yeah. That, I mean, it's kind of the same with me with mid to late 80s uh, uh, AWA stuff that was on ESPN. I oh, mean, yeah. that show, that show gets show pissed on. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It gets pissed on so much. And I get it. But man, I was so hot and knee deep into it at that time. And when, you know, watching it and man, it was, I thought it was fun. And, uh, and, you know, and I, I wasn't aware at that time of the, you know, all, you know, the AWA and the prime so much. You know, I hadn't seen a lot of that. So I, I didn't know. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, a lot of it is nostalgia for me. You know, it hits, it hits certain marks in my heart when I watch it. But I, I still love watching that stuff. I still yeah. think it's fun to watch. It's you Same. know that's all that's what it's all about for me. It's not I don't, you know I like to critique. I like to bitch and complain about certain things. But it's it's just if it's fun, you know if I if I enjoy and have a good time watching it. So now I'm the same way. I'm I'm ninety I'm ninety percent more likely when I sit down at night if I have time to sit down and watch some wrestling. I'm probably just going to watch something old and not something new. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, I was, I was uh, actually for the, for the show, I was talking just the, the other day, I was talking to Bob Smith. Um, mm -hmm. I know you were yep. on his show and yep. it's like, I told him it's that expression. I think they don't make new music for old people. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel this uh, that way sometimes about new wrestling. I, I keep up, I watch, you know, but I watch from afar. I don't, I, it's not like appointment viewing for me anymore. No, me neither. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it used to I mean, even up up into the '90s and the early 2000s. It was for me, you know. I mean, through the Monday Night Wars and all that. I mean, I I didn't miss, and I was flipping back and forth and taping one and everything. You know, it was all through that. But yeah, it's anymore. I don't I don't really watch a whole lot. I mean, I'll go and I'll watch just certain things that I know I like, and mm -hmm. or, or certain you know something that I saw online was you know maybe something I should check out or. It's I, I get caught up in that, uh, I guess, that short attention span mindset of nowadays. And, you know, I, I read the results online and just watch what I pick and choose what I want to watch. Same. And um, there's just not not anything current out there that overall just just grips me where, you know, where I can sit down and watch start to finish. And and and, and it really holds my attention all the way through. So it's it's tough. I wish there was I wish there was something something out there for me. But, every, uh, every, yeah, I'm, just, is, I'm the is. same way. Every every once in a while, and a lot of times, and I never watch, I never watch, hardly ever watch anything live anymore because I want to be yeah. able to fast forward through it. Yep, uh, WWE does a good job with their pay per views, um, but I still fast forward through some of it. The last show I watched in its entirety from beginning to end and really enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy this most recent Forbidden Door show. I thought that was really mm. good. But yeah, um, I watch it. So as far as as far as um, your career in the wrestling business, um, I know you were a manager at one point, and I can tell just by looking at the pictures, you may have been a Jim Cornette fan. Uh, definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was uh, always a Cornette fan, always a Midnight Express fan, and uh, yeah, I there was you know the the local promotion around us uh, when I got into you know my twenties. Uh, 
you know, I started realizing that there was, there was, you know, stuff around me that I could go see and that, you know, it was fun. And I, uh, you know, I went and got, you know, I eventually I would talk to guys and this and that. And I'd, and it would just be certain things, you know, and I'd start talking, you know, the, the guy that owned it, you know, and I, I, how I got kind of got into it is I would talk to him and I was like, Hey, I saw your flyer up, you know, man, you ought to do this. Right. And he's like, well, you know, fuck you do it for me then. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll make your flyer. So I made a flyer, you know, and it was, this is pre Photoshop days, you know, I was cutting and photos right. and, and pasting and stuff like that. And I'd come up with stuff. So, and, and then I would start, you know, doing things where I would, you know, I would tell him, you know, hey, you ought to have some kind of, you know, a little program thing, just basic, you know, something I'm like you can sell them for a buck a piece and it's, free, it's easy money. And it's like, okay, fine. If you want to do it, I'll split it with you or whatever. And so I started making programs and writing these little, you know, uh, kayfabe stories in them and things like that. And, you know, so when that, you know, so I started showing up early to the shows and helping with the ring and doing all these things and getting to know these guys. And then just, you know, you know, that evolved into getting into the ring with these guys. Right. And they would just show me little bits here and there. Right. Take oh, I'll take a flat back bump, how to do this and that. And I thought, man, this I love this. Right. This is great. And uh, and, you know, and I, I had it in my mind. I thought oh, I'm, I'm going to say something. I want to do something. Right. I, I want to become involved. Some I don't care what it is. And um, and and he approached me first, and he's like, "Hey, you know, you ought to you ought to manage. We don't really have a, a hill manager, right? We don't have that guy. You want to do that?" I'm like, "Yes. When do you want me to do it? <laughs> Sign me up." Yeah. And uh, so I started doing it right. It, it was very much modeled after Cornette, right? The the rich, you know, entitled kind of guy who, you know, thought everything should be given to him, blah blah blah. And uh, man, it was it was a rush, right? It was I, I enjoyed it, everything about it, right? And and that led, I did, you know, I did re actually wrestle for a while as I, you know, trained a little more with these guys before shows and, and did some of that until I got to the point where I had a pretty bad neck injury. I had a, a weird weekend of shows where I had several, several bad, bad bumps that, that were all on the neck. Mm -hmm. And uh, it ended up years later, I had to have fused two discs in my neck because of this. But um, at that time, they, you know, they told me, hey, there's not much we can do now, you know, there's whatever else, but you really shouldn't do this anymore. So I was like, okay, well, I won't, right? I, I'll, I'll quit. And uh, then, that, so that led to like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get away, right? I don't want to step away from the business. I still want to be a part. So I, then I started promoting shows, right? In a neighboring, kind of a neighboring town to us. I started running monthly shows there and loved that, right? Love being on that creative side of it. And uh, so I, I've always, I've always had my finger in it in one way or another, right? I just, once I got in, I, it's, it, it is truly the saying of that you, you, you never retire is true. Right. Once you get addicted to it and you get in it, man, you're always seems like you're always involved. So that's, you know, I did, you know, ran shows, ran shows several different times, ran shows. And then when that kind of ran its course, I that's when I kind of transitioned to the podcast thing. and thought, well, you know, now this is where it's at. I can I can do this and I can kind of stay involved and and, and do this and talk, you know, because I, I can always talk. And, Same. Uh, but uh, <laughs> did, so that's did, what I did for for, uh, for just for in all intents and purposes, did you. Which um, was there any? What do I want to say? Any promotions that you worked for that I might know the name? Um, probably I, not. It was a lot of little. I mean, the, probably the most prominent at that time. I did a couple shows in Chicago for Windy City Wrestling. Okay, some of their, yeah. Some of their spot shows. It wasn't anything major. It was just some of their small peripheral shows, and it was it was more that case of just going and showing up and, and being there and. uh there was a guy that I managed at the time that did this outlaw cowboy type gimmick, right? That, you know, that rough tub, rough tub, you know, independent Stan Hansen type kind of guy, uh, not to compare him to Stan Hansen, but you know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and he was there and then they had the spot and they're like, 
you know, oh, okay, well, you can work this and, you know, all right, this is my manager. So that's how we kind of got in. I did a few shows uh, there. I did, I mean, I did some shows. There was a group called EWF in Marion, Indiana that ran out of an old theater. They were, they were pretty, pretty prominent at that time as far as independents go. Uh, worked some shows for them. It was just a lot of stuff. Like, it was a lot of small groups like mm-hmm. that. Um, it, it was so weird back then because, you know, I was literally part of the, you know, p- printing out a pic, you know, getting a picture made, typing up a letter and doing a, you know, a videotape of highlights and, and then, and then ultimately kind of a DVD and sending to these guys, right? Because it was, it, there was no online presence and um, trying to, trying to get booked, but it was, you know, it's, it's hard. It was hard to get booked as a manager. Right. And that's, that's primarily what I wanted to do is just the managing stuff. So, but, uh, cause almost every group had, had a hill manager. It was somebody's friend or someone's brother or whatever that did the hill manager thing. So they didn't need another hill manager. So a lot of times it was going with the guy that I was already working with a lot of times. Yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was going to say, being from around kind of, kind of the same geographic area that you're from. Um, like where I live now is, is in between, in between Fort Wayne, Indiana and Lima, Ohio. So, mm-hmm. you know, so j- just being, just being in the general area, that was, a, that was, it's funny that you say that about the manager because going to those shows back then. And that's another thing that I miss is, is, and I know there's still indie wrestling out there, but it's just not, it's not what it was then, you know, going to the, going to the yeah. armory, you know, going to the dirty armory. And, and like you said about the manager, there's, this promotion has a manager. Oh, he's got a big pimp hat on. He's not really doing yeah. anything to get. He, he's just, you just know he knows the promoter and he's just, you know, he's wearing a pimp hat and a boa. Yep. And, but also some of the funniest, some of the funniest interactions that I've seen from people are those guys, you know, sometimes you'll find one or you'd, you'd see one and it's like, Oh, this guy's, this guy's killer. He's great. Yeah. A great heel, you know, but yeah. What's I mean, a lot of once you know, once I work with some of these guys, they liked it because you know, I, I would take bumps, right? I would I'd take whatever. And I wasn't just that, you know, that manager who only talked and did nothing. You know, I I I would take a bump or take a move. I, I didn't care. And I'd do whatever, but uh oh I did, you know, shoot. I did all the old school hill hill manager gimmicks, you know. I got put in a diaper one show because I, I lost an arm wrestling contest to the local DJ and I you know, did the, you know, ate the dog food because my guy got beaten a match and I uh, got locked in a cage and I got, oh, well, quote unquote, tarred and feathered. It didn't really, it didn't really work real well, but <laughs> they supposedly tarred and feathered, you know, and did the, you know, handcuffed to people, you know, the local officer. I did all that kind of stuff and all the little gimmick stuff. And, and, uh, but that's, you know, when you had the uh, rotating cast of guys in and out all the time and not knowing who would actually show up, you know, the hill manager oftentimes was the backbone, right? It was the guy that was there. It was like, you know, Jimmy Hart in Memphis, right? He was the guy that was always there. Right. But that's who Lawler feuded with. And whoever happened to be with him, that's you know, by default. It happened. I was always there. So I was always the guy with these stipulations. And, and, you know, if a guy showed whoever showed up and that's who I managed. And, uh, and it was wild because, you know, it, it was, a, you know, like I said, it was these small shows, but it was like, to me, I worked with and managed so many guys that man, I it blew my mind that wouldn't matter. I mean, I first guy I ever managed was a guy named Psycho Sam Cody, you know, who I seen on, you know, on TV for different shows, and and uh, I worked a lot with Bobo Brazil Jr., who used to be Calypso Jim on Bruiser's TV, mm-hmm. and that just you know mm-hmm. stuff like that, and uh, a lot. I worked a lot with Dice Man Ronnie Vegas, who you know had done prelim, you know, a lot of prelims on WCW, and um, just all these guys and. To me, that blew my mind. You know, I got I got to work a match with Dutch Mantel one time, and it oh, was just, sweet. and it was one of the wildest. And it was 
it was so funny because it's like I was much obviously much younger than him. And uh, you know, we were doing this thing and uh <laughs> I backed him in a corner, right? Laid in a couple shots and went to whip him across and he grabbed the rope and he goes, No, kid, I'm not running all the way across that ring. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So he's like, he's like, snap mare me out and grab a chin lock. So it was like, all right, Dutch, whatever, buddy. <laughs> thank, thank, thank yes, sir, Mr. Mantel. <laughs> I just, yeah, you know, he he called it, but he he wasn't about to on this little bitty show in central Indiana, he wasn't about to <laughs> overexert himself and run from <laughs> post to post so <laughs> he's, he's definitely a character yeah it was, my it was favorite fun. my favorite dutch mantel story and i can't remember who actually who i actually heard tell it was um jerry jarrett and jerry lawler i guess at one point had called like a you know a meeting of the of all the people in memphis yeah and it was during the it was during the steroid days you know when vince was going through all his stuff and Somebody, either Jerry Jarrett or Jerry Lawler said, we want to make sure nobody on this roster is on steroids. And Dutch said, the way you're paying us, nobody's on food. Yeah. And I'm like, that's such a good line. Nobody's on yeah, food. I don't remember that's, where. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, but uh, I'm telling you, all the stories you hear and all the things you've seen laid out in documentaries and, and movies about wrestling locker rooms, even these small shows, it's all true. Right, you you see so much stuff. It's uh, so funny. I mean, all the some of the things you saw, that you would never believe you'd come encounter. And, yeah. Uh, but that you know, that was part of the fun of it for me, right? I, the personalities in this this wild outlaw kind of world uh, was it was I mean, it's so fun, right? Because it's the same reasons that you watch it, right? You you work a nine to five Monday through Friday, and you watch this whatever whether it be wrestling or whatever it is to to escape that, right? To to get your mind off that. And it's, it's the same thing, you know, when I wrestled doing, you know, being the weekend warrior kind of guy, it was just, man, forget, forget the dull, dull life and, yeah. you know, do this. <laughs> so. Well, my, my favorite people to talk to as, as a podcaster, to be honest with you is, is guys like you that are, that are historians. And cause that's, that just, it's fascinating to me. Like I've had, I've had Barry Rose on and we talked mm -hmm. about Florida and uh, Brian Solomon, I uh, was on to talk about the Sheik and to talk about his days at the WWF. And I, I always wonder, you know, and I'll ask you as far as your historical thing, the, the things that you have chronicled and like, like I said, your YouTube page and stuff like that. Did you acquire all that over time and yep. just, you know, from your own stuff or did you have to, did you have to buy some of it from somebody or uh, a little of all of it? Yeah. A lot, you know, there's a, I had kind of the the core of it to start, right? It was from my stuff, right? That I had accumulated and whatever else. And uh, I used to do a lot of tape trading, right? So I had mm -hmm. I had a lot of stuff from that. Um, and then it's just, it gets to the point where as you, when the online world kind of started, right? And social media, and, and you get on there and you start meeting people or being reacquainted with people. And then it, it's a lot of... There's a lot of well, what would be called legwork, but it's all mostly online anymore. It seems like right where you encounter someone and you find out that well, this person is so and so from back in the day. They're they're, they're kid, right? And then so you reach out and you say, hey, you know, you don't happen to have you know any pictures, any flyers, any tapes laying around in boxes from when your dad worked, and 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 just different stuff like a reaching out. You see a post where someone said they used to go to shows and at the uh, the Tyndall Armory in Indianapolis, and used to religiously watch it on TV. So you reach out, hey, you don't? Did you ever take pictures? Did you ever record any of that show? You don't happen to have any? They're like, oh, you know, actually, I do. 
And uh, so they would, you know, and you dig it out. And sometimes people would just be willing to share, uh, you know, and, and, and whatever. Or sometimes you buy, you know, and I, I constantly peruse eBay and, and everything else. Uh, you have alerts set up for that. And it's a, uh, and, and then, you know, my best friends, you know, newspapers.com, you know, the, in the subscription of that. And it's just, I spend more time on that going down rabbit holes and, mm-hmm. and it's wild. And um, like specifically like with the WWA, there's, there's, there's lots of, well, not just the WWE, but that particularly there's, there's gaps in, in title change dates and things, right. Where there's, they weren't documented. And obviously there's, there's actually, there's actually, you know, there's times where titles changed in one town, but not in the other. There was multiple, uh, there's all kinds of weird stuff. So I'm, I'm constantly going out and trying to piece together and find these, see if I can narrow down and find these dates, right. From results, from newspaper ads and, and, and figure this stuff out. And, um, and then talking to people, Hey, you work this show. Do you know, you know, when you worked it, were you still tag champ? Yep. I was still tag champ on that show. We didn't lose them to later. So, okay, well, I can narrow it down a little further, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't that show where the title show. So it's, it's just a lot of that. It's in, uh, um, and, and, and making relationships, right. Meeting people, getting to know them and, um, and, and just bugging the hell out of them. I do it <laughs> all the time, right. All the time, you know, anybody that I reach out to and they're like, Oh, let me check. I, I will not let them forget. Right. I'll give them some time and then I'm always back in contact. And even if it's just one picture or something that's never been seen before, I feel like, Oh, it's, it, it was worth the effort. And, um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a wide combination of things of, of, you know, my collection and purchasing and, you know, picking at other people's stuff and, and, and p- other people sharing and participating and, and it just, it takes a lot of time, right. And, and meeting people and talking to people and a lot of these people, especially a lot of old timers, <laughs> they're very tentative, right? It's like, it's weird that they're protective. They don't want you to, they, they want to make sure you're going to be respectful and, and things like that. And not, it's like, I don't know what you think I'm going to do with this stuff, but, uh, right. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not putting it online to make fun of you, but, but, and I get that though, you're right. This, some of these guys have forgotten and this was their life's work. Right. And they were, this was their career. And, um, and it's the same way when you, you try to interview guys like on podcasts and you'll reach out, Hey, I'd like to interview you. And a lot of these guys, some of their first reactions is, ah, nobody'd want to hear me talk. Why would yeah. they want to hear me talk? And I'm like, really? Do you not? I mean, you've got so many stories to tell. You not understand. I mean, oh, nobody cares about that. That was 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, they do. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of people who would care and uh, they're just not aware, right? They're not aware that there's this you know, demand for the nostalgia and mm-hmm. demand for a lot of these things. And, and that, that... Is, especially if you find guys that haven't done, you know, a hundred interviews already mm-hmm. and uh, someone unique, it's, 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 you know, there's a mar- definitely a demand for it out there. Well, that, yeah, that's what, that was, you know, one of, you know, some of my experiences, just a couple, uh, well, obviously Chad Austin um, is, mm-hmm. Uh, the co-host on reliving the extreme with us. And, you know, you reach out to a guy that somebody might say was yeah, never a big deal in the business, but Chad was a big deal in Maryland and turns out lo and behold, super personality, you know, so yep, it transitions yep. v- well, very well over to podcasting. Uh, another guy, Tommy Cairo, I had Tommy yep. Cairo on the ECW show. What a, what a, I, you don't, you don't even realize, you know, this guy, he, he knew Johnny Rods, you know, and et cetera. Yeah. So you can go down the, I went down these wormholes with Tommy that God damn it. I never even recorded it. Cause we were just on the phone, just just talking about him coming on the show. And yeah. it's like, oh, I should have hit record, but yeah. Yeah. Just, That's, just, you're absolutely uh, right. There's, I mean, there's a guy named Chris Carter who was big in Bruiser's group 
uh, from the early eighties up through till the end, right. In the, in the late eighties. And, uh, man, as a kid, I loved this guy, right. Loved him. And he did a, a hill turn on Dr. Jerry Graham jr. That was just tragic for me as a kid, all this stuff. And, um, I had tried for years to track this guy down, could not find it. And then finally found someone who had a number for him. And I just cold called the guy, right. I'm just like, Hey, uh, I'm this. And he's like, you do what's, what's a podcast. He's like, he had no clue what any of this was. He's not online at all. And I'm like this. And he's like, what, what are you even talking about? And I'm like, he's like, I don't, I'm not in the wrestling business anymore. I'm like, I get that. And he's like, no, oh, I, I, do you need a piano? He had a piano moving business. Now that's what he does. He owns a piano moving business. And, um, and then it's like, he had all this personality back in the day. Right. And, and when you get on there and talk to him and get him started, it all was back. Right. He, he slipped into that personality again. It was so entertaining and had never done an interview before. And it was, it was so, it, it, there's a great Rojo who was another big guy for Bruiser's group. Mm-hmm. Never done, never done a podcast interview. And it was, just, he's very quiet, very secluded. Finally got him to do an interview and it was just, it was great. Right. And these are guys that a lot of people aren't aware of, but to me, they were big, big deals for when I was a kid watching Bruiser's yeah. TV. And, um, and it's like, but they don't, they don't think anybody cares. They don't think anybody remembers. And I'm like, well, you know, there are a lot of people that remember and if they don't remember, then let's remind them, right? Let's, exactly. let's, let's, let's change that because you, you deserve, you know, a little attention. I mean, you deserve to be able to tell your stories because it's, it's I mean, you know, these guys, they might've worked these little territories, but, you know, Chris Carter was in Detroit. I mean, he worked WWF, you know, preliminary matches every time they came through Detroit. So he worked some of the biggest names at that time in preliminary matches when they came through Detroit. Never, you know, never worked for WWE or WWF per se, but he, re- you know, he wrestled on these shows and, you know, I mean, worked for the Sheik and wrestled all these guys and, and, and everything, you know, I'll be like, how can you think that nobody wants to hear these stories? Oh, I was, I'm like, I was. I was so excited when um, when I saw that you were going to have Wojo on your show, yeah. Because one of my memories as a wrestling as a kid was I actually watched I actually watched the great Wojo wrestle Scott Steiner at the Lucas County Rec Center in Toledo. Yep. I was there as a oh, kid, that's awesome. yeah. and you know, so I I just when I hear that name. Oh, he's going to be on Dave's show. I don't think he's ever done an interview. I was, yeah, I was chomping at the bit to hear that. <laughs> and this, but this guy, even outside of pro, I mean, he was an Olympic wrestling alternate, right? Mm-hmm. Should have went to the Olympics in 1980, but, or whatever it was, but we boycotted, right? He was planning, you know, he was going to go. This guy's, I mean, he's legit, right? He, I mean, this guy can shoot, mess you up. I mean, he was, you know, had all the backgrounds. And, um, but again, he was just, once he was done, he was done. He he went to coaching wrestling in you know, in a high school or whatever, and put it behind yeah. him and didn't care anymore about it. And uh, you know, I'm I'm friends with you know Jerry Jaffe, who was Dr. Jerry Graham Jr., and who's friends with Wojo. And I just kept telling him, but Jerry, you got to ask him, right? Ask him. He's like, oh, Wojo won't do it, right? He doesn't do interviews. He doesn't want to. Jerry, just ask him for me. I said, Jerry, buddy, just vouch for me. Just tell him Dave's a good guy. I said, I don't care if you lie. Just tell him, <laughs> right? And just trust him. Finally, one day, he's like. Jerry, Jerry's funny because he won't just text me or, or, or message me, right? It's always a, he'll send me a message. Hey, Dave, call me for a minute. So I'll call you. Jerry, what's up? I talked to Wojo. Yeah. It's like, here's his number. He said, call him. He'll talk to you about it. I'm like, holy God. Okay. And I'm like, how do you call great Wojo? Right. I mean, I, to me, it's like this guy, you know, and he was, but he's so soft spoken and quiet. And I'm like, and I called him and he's like, 
all right, yeah, I think I could do this. Do I, I mean, what do I have to do? I'm like, you don't do anything. You just sit there and talk to me on the phone. I'll ask you questions, tell your stories. We'll talk about whatever you want to do. It's simple. I'm like, you tell me how long you can go. I'll, you know, whatever. We'll just do it. He's like, all right, well, what are you going to do with this? And I'm like, well, I'm going to put it in a podcast. He said, what's a podcast? <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, whoa, Joe, it's kind of like modern day radio, right? This is where people get a lot of this stuff that they're, they're interested in. Oh, all right. Well, okay. And then we like, we get to the end. I'm like, well, do you want me to reach out to you when it's done? And ah, no, I don't, I don't. <laughs> He's like, you didn't care. You didn't I don't, care. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want <laughs> Whatever. Do what you want to do. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was so exciting. And I love, I love getting first time guys like that. Right. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's exciting for me. And, uh, you know, and I know it's, yeah, I, I don't know, you feel that, that sense of accomplishment, right. Cause these are people that don't do these things. And, uh, so it's, it's cool to be able to put something out there and, I you know I, I feel that I mean like the historian I, I I feel this sense of of needing to document these things right mm-hmm. and, and preserve them while while you can and let them whether they're true not true whether they're kayfabing or bullshitting let these guys tell their stories tell their perspectives let them just rattle it all off and, and preserve it and and while you can because you know I mean we you know we lose these guys so quick mm-hmm. that you know and. I hate to think of these guys that think they were nothing that never got to never got to do that. And, and uh, it it's funny that you mentioned the, the podcast chronicling things because my next question was actually going to be to ask you about that. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, another man who has 200 episodes under his belt. Yeah, wrestling, yeah, yeah. wrestling nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Check it out if you have not. I know I've shared it in our Facebook group and stuff before, but one of my favorite podcasts and. That's what I was going to ask was the question of transitioning from being in the business and then starting to do podcasting. Was it more just wanting to stay around the business or was it the intention to chronicle, you know, to start chronicling things? Um, it was both, right? There was, there was multiple facets, right? But obvious, honestly, the, the initial idea was it was selfish. It was just to stay involved. And I thought I'll get to talk to guys. And that's, that's my, my chance to be like, I'm hanging still in the locker room chatting up with these guys right i'll get to talk with them uh, i'll let them tell their stories and then i do you do some and you think okay why well, I, I need a little focus right this is i can't just be all over the place right there's got to be we have to have a niche so i thought okay so i'm going to focus in on on the midwest because that's my thing i know more people there that's my big interest that's what i grew up with so i thought well i'm gonna i'm gonna do a lot of history stuff right i'm gonna try to get some of these guys that have never done interviews and I'm going to document a lot of this stuff. And then early on, though, I also wanted to get a lot of young guys in the Midwest that were just breaking in that I thought had a lot of potential, right? Had a lot of a lot of talent. And I thought, I'm going to bring them on, right? And try to give them whatever little bit of exposure I could. For the first, I don't know, damn near 100 episodes, one of our prominent pretty much every week on was, was Mance Warner, right? I knew mm-hmm. Mance Warner, who, you know, has done everything, right? He's been in AW, AEW now. Uh, you know, MLW, all these things he does. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, a, he's great. Um, but you know, he's from Indiana and, uh, um, I was, you know, I was running shows and, and booked him on a show when he was first got done training. And I would talk this, he was so quiet at that time. And I would talk to, talk to him or whatever else. And I kept saying, man, man, you can talk. I know you got to talk. And he's like, well, I don't know, man. No one lets me talk. You know, he's on my, I'm a kid. I said, dude, I got a podcast. I said, I will give you. 10 to 15 minutes every week. I say, you say whatever the hell you want. I don't even care what you say. Do it in your character, what you want to be, and just do it. 
And he's like, all right. And he, he like called me. He's like, I would, I would do this thing. I would call it Warner's Wisdom. I said, I don't care, man. I don't care. Just you're so entertaining. Just talk. And that's what he would do. He would, you could tell that he was in the car going to shows and he would just be doing like voice notes on his phone. And he would just be rambling for 10 minutes and send me these things. And I thought it was, I thought, oh, so cool. So fun. And in my mind, it's entertaining, but it's also this young guy getting to practice, right? He's getting a chance right. to, to talk and to practice. And I'm like, that's, I, I like that, right? I'm, I, it's a service. I, I, I thought it was cool. And, um, so there was, like I said, there was a lot, there was a lot of selfish reasons because I wanted to stay in touch with these guys. I didn't want to just be one of those guys that stopped and then just, you know, it's once you're out of eye, you're, you're out of mind, right? People forget right. about you. And I still wanted to stay in touch with these people I had met and, and were friends with. And, and I still, so I thought, you know, and obviously then I wanted to do a lot of the historical stuff. I wanted to help young guys. I don't do a lot of the young guy stuff anymore because um, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not in Indiana anymore. I don't live there anymore. So I don't go to a lot of shows. So I don't, I'm not as, I don't have my finger on the pulse of who's who anymore. Right. So, uh, so I don't do as much of that anymore. So I really just really focus on the historical stuff. And if I'm not doing an interview with someone or letting someone tell their stories, you know, I, I focus in on whatever it might be, a particular show, a particular match, a particular person from the past. And just, I just focus in on that on a show and uh, bring, you know, either bring people on that were there or, or knew that person, or just from my own research, just tell the, tell the story and do stuff like that. So, um, so it's, it's a little combination of all that stuff, but it, now it's, it's pretty much evolved to the point where it's, it's almost primarily the chronicling of history is what I, I tend to use it for. So. And I love it. So I, like I say, I can't, I can't put enough praise on the show and, and recommend it enough to anybody that listens to this show. Cause most of the people who listen to this show are also old school wrestling fans. So um, kind of the same vein, the, and so another thing, as far as the podcasting goes, I know you branched out away from wrestling, which actually I'll be kind of announcing on this episode of this, of, of on the 200th episode of this show with our network, we are also going to branch out a little bit from wrestling. Um, and you've branched out into the horror genre. I love that show too, because I also love like my, 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 my go-tos are sci-fi and horror and yep. then comedy. So me, me too. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just another thing. It's like, I watch, Horror movie, it's same with it's same as with wrestling. It's always been there in my life, and it's always been such a big thing. And um, <laughs> as odd as it may sound, so many horror movies are just they're comfort movies for me, right? Mm -hmm. They are they're just movies I throw on and I love, and I, I love especially love cheesy stuff, right? I mean, oh, yeah. whether it's it's horror, whether it's sci-fi, whether it's whatever, I, I I love cheesy stuff, and um I, it was just one of these things with you know, me and Ike. Um who I do the show with, we were all the time talking about this stuff. And uh, I thought, man, I told him, I said, I don't care if anybody listens to it. Why don't we just start reviewing movies? Let's just do a podcast every week. We'll watch, we watch this stuff anyway, but we, right. you know, we go and watch all these new releases. Let's just review it. Let's just do it for fun and, and have fun. It's just, I said, I told him it's just our, our chance once a week to make sure we talk horror movies, which we do anyway. And, um, and like I said, I like to talk. So I thought, hell, I'm gonna do a show then on my what my you know my other passion, and um and it's it's a blast. I love it. It's, it's just uh, a, it, just like you mentioning the cheesy. I think the the other reason that horror is one of my favorite genres is there literally are not bad horror movies, and the reason I say that is 
because a bad horror movie just becomes a comedy. So yep. no matter what you're going to be like, my wife and I just watched a move one, watched one last night, um, attack of the killer donuts. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that. It, board, it yeah. was, it was no attack of the killer tomatoes, but you know what, <laughs> for, for, for 85 minutes, just to sit down and, and watch something stupid. And, yep. you know, so like I said, I mean, it's just, it's a, such a cool genre. And I, I do love that show you guys are doing too. It's a well, great thanks. show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, just, it comes from the same place to me as wrestling does. I watch it to escape and I don't, so many people get caught up in what's good and what's, but I don't, I don't care. Right. If I, I can watch a horror movie and spend an hour and a half watching it and it can be a bad movie. Mm-hmm. But if I see one kill or one line or one something in it that makes me react or chuckle, I think hey, that's fine. I can key in on that. Say, I like that part. That was fun. And, um, you know, I mean, they, I don't, no one makes a horror movie thinking that they're going to, you know, win an Academy Award. It just right, doesn't exactly. happen. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you hear people that get so caught up in this stuff and think, oh, that's so unreal. I mean, it's a horror movie. I mean, of course it's unreal. I mean, it's what are you expecting from this? And um, and it's 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 kind of the same, kind of the same approach that I've taken a lot of times with the wrestling podcast. I try to I try to remain positive about it and not, you know, I mean, I I I will I will critique a movie if need be or whatever else, but I will also I'll try to counter with some positives, right? And yeah, and be supportive because to me, if someone goes out there and they're they're going for it, right, and they're they're making something and putting it out there, they should at least get props for you know pursuing it and making the attempt. Because there's so many people that that say, "Oh, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this," and then they don't ever do anything. Don't they don't? So um, I'm not, you know, I, I try to I try to put a lot of positivity into it and, and make sure I point out good stuff as well as bad when need be. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I, toxicity, the toxicity nowadays is just, uh, again, like you said, like with wrestling, or I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Me too. Also, oh, with it, also, also yes, yes, within, <laughs> within that circle, it's like, okay, I understand as a fan, sometimes maybe as wrestling, I might not like a match, or maybe on Star Wars, I might like, might like that, might not like a character, but I guarantee you, I'm going to like the overall product. Yeah. So I I try not to go. It's like these people go to watch a Star Wars movie wanting to hate it, they you do. know. Yep. And and I just I can't I can't be with that. So I'm right with you on Me that. Neither. It's just the the negativity and, is just. Yeah, and if I watch a movie or what or anything and I don't like it, eh, okay, I'm not going to watch it again. Right. No harm, no foul. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to rewatch it. But here's the thing: if if I hate a movie and someone else absolutely loved it, that's great. Why does that bother me? How does that affect me? Exactly. I'm glad that someone found something they like because I, I guarantee there's so many movies that I love that every someone would watch it and say, what a piece of shit. <laughs> and I'm like, one of my favorite movies. Have you ever, have you ever heard of a movie from the eighties called rad? Yes. BMX? yes. One of my favorite movies of all time. I love that movie so much, but I can tell anybody it's not a good movie. You know, if you're looking at it from a critical or an art, it's not a good movie, but I love it. And it's so enjoyable to me. And it's like, so why would I ever go out and try to knock someone else for something? They Who cares? I, I get tired of people that argue opinions like they're facts because mm-hmm. they're not, you know, an opinion's an opinion. And I'll debate people. And I don't mind that. I, I enjoy that sometimes, right? Debating these things. And, and that's fun. But when it's all said and done, no one's right or wrong. 
Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a taste thing. So people get too caught up in that, and I mean, they really I do. Just like with with wrestling, like I I I one of the biggest points that I make I, I make quite a bit on the show because I, I try to I try to disseminate dis- disseminate between the two. I can understand, say, somebody that's an AEW fan or a WWE fan saying, say, say the WWE guy says, I don't like AEW. Okay, that's cool. That's fine. You don't like AEW. Where I have the problem is it's gotten to the point now where people are they they don't they don't critique the promotion. They critique the people that watch the promotion. Like, why are you attacking people? I can say all day long, no, I didn't like that AEW show. But I'm not going to say, oh, that guy in the front row, what a piece of shit because he likes AEW. What, what is that? I don't understand. Yep, I I, like you were saying. like, I, I get it. I know. And I'm to me, bottom line is, as I, I'm just happy there's a, another place for guys to work and get paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. whatever. I don't care. Again, I, I don't because no one's making me watch it. So exactly. I don't they, care if someone what? else loves it. I'm happy, right? I'm glad people, I'm glad when people find a passion and something they mm-hmm. like, and that's fine. And it doesn't have to be my passion and I don't care. So it's like, I mean, we all got our thing. Why can't mm-hmm. we just, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather chat with people that have similar interests to me. And, and instead of worrying about arguing with someone with different interests, it just right, doesn't, exactly. it doesn't make sense to me. Same, same. Well, one more question, Dave, and then I will set you free. But this All is a right. question. That, this is a question that I like to ask anybody that I have on the show because, like I said at the beginning of the interview, it all starts as a fan. Mm-hmm. So if I got if I've got Dave Dynasty and I say, Dave, you are now only allowed to watch one year of one promotion in history. Mm. What is the one year one promotion that you're gonna that you're gonna watch? Oh mercy, that's a that's a question there. I know it's a loaded it's a loaded one. It would probably be whoo, probably be what was it? Was it 89 NWA with the flare steamboat stuff and all that? Was that yes. 89 or 88? It would probably it was be 89. 89. Yep, it would probably be 89 Crockett stuff because I love so many people talk about the flare steamboat trilogy there. I love that whole thing because I remember you know the Eddie Gilbert. You know, it, you know, on the studio show saying he was going to bring in a mystery partner and then it being st- all that was great. You know, and up to the end then with carry on with Terry Funk attacking Flair after that third yeah. match and, and moving into that, which was so great. So, uh, again, there, I have a lot of nostalgia for that time and, and watching that show. But I mean, I was so invested in that stuff. I enjoyed that stuff so much. Um, so I would have to say that if I was backed into a corner, uh, that would that would probably be just off the top of my head, probably be my go-to would be eighty-nine NWA. Good shit, good shit, pal, as Vince would say. Yep. yep. <laughs> well, Dave, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for being on our two hundredth episode um, this time around on the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Uh, we, Dave and I, those of you that don't know, Dave and I have danced around a while trying to trying to hook up and uh, and do yep, something yep. for either one of our shows. So it's finally great yep. to have you here. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate Bye. your time. And if you just want to let everybody know where they can find you and 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 anything you want to plug, just go right ahead. Um, well, I'm like I said, I'm I'm pretty much out there on everything. Uh, you can look up, just look up Dave Dynasty. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, uh, all that stuff for YouTube. Uh, I'm typically under Nostalgic Dave Dynasty. I kind of put that nostalgic thing on there because that kind of is very descriptive of me. 
but I'm on there. Follow me on those. And then the, the, the horror podcast is listen to their screams. And I'm pretty much on, again, we're on a, pretty much every social media platform as listen to screams. That's listen, the number two and screams. And so you can, if you like horror stuff, that's, that's out there too. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find. I, I, like I said, I stay pretty active on, on all those things. I like to do a lot of postings. Like you said earlier, I like to post a lot of historical dates and newspaper clippings and photos and, and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it's all that's, right. that's also that's also why I appreciate you being part of our Hall of Fame panel panel here too. Because I always say, you know, yeah, it's just my stupid little podcast, but the Hall of Fame is like my favorite thing to do every year, just because it's yeah. such a cool exercise. But yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. It's a, I you know thinking and talking through stuff like that's fun, right? When yeah. you start comparing, you know, one guy's career against another and the impact. I mean, that's that to me, that's that's enjoyable stuff. That's that's fun to think through. So. All right, Dave. Well, thank you very much for joining me and hope no to have problem. you back sometime soon. And yep, uh, absolutely. Good, good luck. Good luck going forward, brother. Absolutely. And once again, congratulations on the 200 episodes. That's, you're a, you're, you must be a very stubborn man. <laughs> <laughs>